You're listening to Interviews, the podcast that cracks the entrepreneurship code. I'm your host, Laurent Autain. I'm an entrepreneur, coach to entrepreneurs, and startup mentor with more than 20 years' experience running companies and advising entrepreneurs. Being an entrepreneur is the most difficult job there is. There are no practical guidelines. So join me every week and learn how you can better navigate your entrepreneurship journey and become an exceptional entrepreneur. Hi, this is Interviews 111 with Alan Stevens, an international profiling and communication specialist. He helps individuals, families, teachers, and students, business owners, and team leaders, as well as sales teams, to read other people, to understand what makes them tick so they can build relationships and better communication. Today is regarded as one of the leading authorities in reading people globally, and his programs are now accredited as certified learning programs for all business types across Australia and Asia. He's also the creator and host of the Campfire Project and hashtag WeTogether initiative, which is a global community, a safe place where men and women can give themselves permission to share their stories and have respectful conversations. Hello, Alan. Thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you very much for the invitation. Well, this you're most welcome. Yes, yes. I'm very much looking forward to this conversation because I think I'm going to learn so much. It's going to be fascinating. So my first question, you know, it's always very interesting to learn about uh, people's journey. And so how did you become a world authority on reading people? Well, to be totally honest, because I was lousy at it when I first started. Okay. <laughs> it's like most industries, we get into it because we have a need for that ourselves. Mm. I was shocking at building relationships. I've been through two divorces. I've been through a lot of relationships. I've been through uh, business partners who went to the bank out. And over the years, I've just had to pick up new and, and, new and more skills as I went along. And it wasn't until after my second divorce that um, I realized that I had to put a lot of work into getting it right. <laughs> Once I did that, now I just make it easy for other people. They don't, they don't have to go through the rubbish that I went through to get to where I am today. I'll make it easy for them. <laughs> right. So it all started by uh, becoming more what self-aware? Well... I was first of all put in charge of men who were all older than me. That was when I was 23. Mm. My second in charge was um, uh, 38, so 15 years difference. And everybody else on the staff were also older than me as well. Mm. So I had to get them on side. And back in those days, body language was the thing that everyone was talking about. So I started with that. In the 80s, I got involved with um, uh, psychometric, what do you call it? Psych psychometric profiling. Mm. which is asking people questions to try and work out their personalities. And I worked with Myers-Briggs and Enneagrams and other systems. In the uh, 90s, I started learning about NLP. And it was the turn of the, uh, from 1999 into the 2000, around about that time that I uh, got divorced a second time. And that's right. when I realized I just had to really step my game up. And so... Uh, somebody mentioned to me one day, I was working with a company that taught currency trading here in Newcastle and none of the students have ever made any money. They got me to come in. We did uh, profiling with psychometric profiling, Myers-Briggs, DISC, et cetera. But people, when they put their money on the table after they finished the course and they started live trading, they didn't match their personalities. And we realized that 
when you ask people questions, they try and second guess what mm. answers they should give. And I told them we needed to know their personality because under stress, you'll always revert back. You can practice and work in certain ways, but when you're stressed, your own personality will start to come back out again. And somebody just said to me, you ever looked at reading faces? And I'm a curious sort of character. I always think the most important thing I'll ever learn is the next thing I learn after I think I know everything. Mm. So I did some uh, searching around and found Paul Ekman, who did all the research on the micro expressions. And a lady, in, an English lady in Petaluma in uh, California, who taught the facial features. Mm. And so I worked with both groups. I put their, and then I put their information together, along with the language we use from the NLP training I'd done in the 90s, and also the, uh, the body language, and came up with rapid trait profiling, which has uh, been proven to be uh, quite unique worldwide. Right. So is there is there a difference between profiling and reading people? Or is it the same? It's the purpose behind it. Profiling right. somebody, you know, we it's like we look at words, like the word consequence. Consequence was always a dirty word. If you do that, when your father gets home, you're going to get a slap. So consequence was a negative word, but consequence really only means if you do something, you do one thing, you'll get a certain result. If you do something different, you'll get another result. So it really doesn't have a potential. And we, But we've turned around for profiling. We've looked at all the TV shows and everything else, and the profilers are always CSI and yeah. you know, criminal investigations, whereas reading faces takes all that in, but it goes broader than that. It's all about being able to understand someone's personality, know how to talk to them in the way that they need to be spoken to, have the feedback, and this is where the micro-expressions of body language come in, I have the feedback of those that tell me, have I read them right? Is there something emotionally going on? And yes, is the person telling me the truth? Mm. But understanding the baseline of their personality is far more important than anything else. Because if you don't get that right, the other stuff can be hit and miss. Mm. So right now, are you reading me? Because we are on video, <laughs> so you can see my face. What does, what does my face say? Well, when you're looking straight at the camera, I know that, yes, you like the overview, the, the least amount of information, first of all. If you're interested in that, you'll ask more questions. But you can make your decision fairly quickly by getting into that information. Mm. I know that it's how things feel inside. So it's more about not so much expressing yourself outwardly. You would have practiced to do that well. But when you're stressed, you'll withdraw back into your cave. Just leave me alone. Let me sort things out. Yeah. And I'll come and talk to you when I've got it finished. But somebody who asks you what's going on, you're just going to pull away from them. And then if they're the sort of person who needs to express themselves, they're thinking something's wrong and they start to imagine issues are happening. Mm. But I know that, yes, you want the overview, but the, there's got you, the details got to be there. You need to know the details there. If it's not there, you're going to ask some more questions at that point. But I also know that you like, don't like starting uh, uh, new projects and doing long-term ones you like to start a new project get into it have the variety get it done and move on to the next one as quickly as possible so if i just gave you the same task over and over and over again you get bored with it pretty quickly how do you know that it's all in the facial features themselves <laughs> really if you think, yeah think about it if you lift weights and there's a science behind this <laughs> if you lift weights you're going to build your body up you do bicep curls you'll build biceps. Yeah. Depending on whether you use a pronate or a supernate uh, movement with your hands will depend on the actual structure, the way the, the lines build in the muscles. If you don't work your triceps, 
they're not going to build. Mm. So, but everything that we feel inside, we also express outwardly. So when you're concentrating, I do this a lot. And so I end up pulling the eyebrows together and I get yeah. these vertical lines. So at rest, you can still see the lines. So because I've used that muscle over and over again, because every time I think, I really concentrate. Mm. So putting those two things together, while I'm concentrating, I'm working the muscles, which are creating ridges and crevices on my face. That's what we call the uh, nurture traits, our response to our environment. We also have our nature traits, which were passed down in the parent from our parents. Mm. So with that, that tells me, you know, things like confidence levels, uh, tolerance levels and things like that. So the facial uh, features, the more structure of the face, the sh overall shapes, et cetera, that's more to the nature. And then those ridges and crevices, that's more to the, uh, the nurture traits. So put it all together in a newborn child, we can pick up certain traits. As they get older, we can pick up more traits. Mm. By the time they're going to school, we already know what they're going to be like when they get to school, where they're going to fit the education system. We know the hobbies and sports that will suit them. Before they pick their final subjects in high school to work out what career they want, we can give them some ideas on what careers will match their personalities. Because we know if we're doing the stuff we love to do, we're more productive, we're yeah. happier. So the face will tell us the things that they love doing the way in which they like to process and everything else. So wow. we can guide them to the right careers. Then when they're looking for a partner, we can work out uh, what uh, facial features in a partner will match what they're looking for as a, as a partner. Once they've got the partner, they then know how to talk to the partner to keep that relationship fresh much longer. And if they're mm. happy you've got in the right career, they're happy, they go to work, they're going to be more productive there. The company's going to make more money. If they're happier in the work they're doing, they're going home. They're not going to be arguing with their spouse. They're going to be happier there. And their kids are going to be happier. Mm. So these skills fit into reading everybody from virtually from the, the cradle to the grave all the way through life and used in every application that we have in life. And all of that by reading people's faces. All through the reading the faces. <laughs> this, is, this is a bit scary. <laughs> <laughs> I will put a disclaimer on it, though. It's not going to the dark side. We're going to the light side. Okay, okay. <laughs> it's, it's done to build relationships with yeah. people. The last thing we want to do is to manipulate people. Mm. If you start manipulating people, you've forever got to manipulate them. That mm. takes a lot of energy. But if I can read someone's personality and know how they like to be spoken to and treated, and I can change the way I like to be spoken to and treated and match the way they do... I'm going to have a better connection with them. So our relationship's going to be better. If I'm selling to them, it's going to be easier. If it's a friend, the connections are going to be stronger. They're more likely to come and talk to me when they want, need help and everything else. At the same time, I can have that better relationship with my spouse and my children and happier at work. So uh, with the um, micro expressions and body language, yes, they do tell me whether I've read the person right. Is there something emotionally go going on? And is that person telling me the truth? But I don't use that side of it as a, um, a, a what do you call it, a, a lie detector. Mm. I use it as a truth seeker. Because if I'm talking to somebody and I notice that they're not operating within their personality, something else is going on and I can pick up these emotional issues, you know, I'll stop the conversation that I'm having, say if I'm doing a presentation, selling of a product or a service, I would come back, have a conversation with them and work out what's going on and see if I can help them work through that issue. 
Mm. That helps me build stronger rapport with them. It builds a greater level of trust that they have in me. And I do it genuinely because I don't have to then uh, keep uh, going back and trying to manipulate. I just behave the way that I always behave with them. And that's an easy conversation. Mm. So this show is about entrepreneurship. And so I, I would like to know the uh, implications for business owners mm. um, to be able to read people's faces. That's it. Because if you're able to read, you know, if you're, a, you're selling a service or a product and you can read your clients, then you're able to speak to them in the way they need to be spoken to. You can get to the understanding of what it is they want. Because in business, mm. we always say that, you know, we look at saving a person time, the person that we've come to as a, as a client. We want to save them money. We want to help them make money. We want to get help them get the emotional outcome that they're looking for. We want to fix the problem they've got. And we want to remove their stress and worry. If mm. we can show that we can do that, regardless of the, the cost of our service, as long as they can see a, a, a high level of return on investment, they will buy from us. So we use it at that level. If we've got teams, if I can read somebody else's personality and understand how they like to be treated, I can first of all give them tasks that match that personality so that they're more productive. If they're doing stuff that they like doing, they're going to be happier. And I've got a great relationship with them. So if, if I've got... Um, a group of or staff members and I'm dealing with the public and I'm not dealing with the those clients all the time, my staff are, well, the happier my staff are and the more that they have the understanding of how to read the clients as well, the clients get better looked after. Mm. Now I have the loyalty from the, the customers and clients. They want to stay with us longer. They will buy our products and services even at a higher price than our competitors because they have people who know and like and trust them and they like know and like trust in return. And so by looking after your staff, you're actually looking after your customers. So all of this comes back to relationships are the foundation of everything we do. I mean, people say to me, Alan, what do you bring to the table? Mm. And I, I got that so many times from people. That was, you know, one of the favorite things people would say, you go to a networking deal. What do you bring to the table? So I just turned around one day and I said, I just bring the damn table. <laughs> and they go, what? And I go, well, Everything's built on relationships, yeah. your service, that person's service, that person's product, all of them work on, first of all, on building a relationship with a client. My business is about teaching you how to build that relationship. So that's the foundation. If you get that right, then you can show your product and service. I usually ask people trick questions. and I ask them, well, which is the most important? Is it your product and service or is it the relationships you build? Mm. And I get people saying backwards and forwards between them. I go, right, that was a trick question. They're both equally important, but which one has the priority? If you don't build a relationship with people, you'll never get to show them how good your product or service is. Mm -hmm. So the relationship has to come first. It's the foundation, and then you put everything else on top of it. So once I said that one day about, uh, you know, I bring the table, I've been very comfortable with saying that ever since. Nice. Do, do you have a, a practical example about a, a business owner that you helped? Yeah, well, I'll give you an example of one that was in the middle of COVID. Right. He had a client, he just finished a, a, a job with him. The, uh, and the client came back to him and said he wouldn't pay the full amount. He was looking for a $50,000 discount on the service he provided with software. Right. And my client uh, was going to give it, you know, 
have a bit of a battle with him to try and get that 50,000 off him. At the same time, his client had canceled the next project. And I said, right, well, show me his face. And we did this from his photograph. I didn't even meet his client in real life. All I had was his photograph. And I said, right, his facial features are telling me this is his personality. This is how he likes to be treated. That email that you showed me that you were going to send, that would be the end of the whole argument. You would have done, you know, done your dash. It would have been done. Send this instead. I said, say, don't talk about the 50,000 he owes you, but talk about the fact that it was a great idea that he postponed the next mm. project because this guy was all about authority and being treated with uh, dignity and everything because he needed to be feel like he was in charge. Mm. So I said, tell him about how this uh, service is, you know, the service uh, that uh, you can provide. Gave you time to think about what you're going to provide for him and you've come up with a better solution so that, by the time that COVID was over, he'd be leading the marketplace and then point out to him that he knows how well that uh, the previous uh, job had gone, the quality of the service they provided, and because of the relationship they had, they were able to provide that. It didn't take much after that for the uh, guy to realise that if he could lead the market with this new product, there was a lot of money involved in that. The $50,000 became very minimal and because they reminded him that we're having a great relationship allowed them to help him make more money. So he mm. paid the 50,000 on the spot wow. and took on the next project. Just by looking at the picture. Just looking at the picture. <laughs> Time for a short announcement. Entrepreneurs don't resist change. On the contrary, they embrace it. However, they do resist others pointing out their flaws and telling them what to do like they need to be fixed. This is why coaching is the perfect solution if you need help to overcome your challenges because you're never told what to do. Instead, you implement changes based on your own terms. Now you're an entrepreneur, so I understand you may not be able to commit the time and the budget that one-on-one -on -one coaching often requires. Therefore, I created 36550, basically. It's a one year of unlimited 15 minute calls with me. It's perfect if you'd like to get coaching, but you have a limited budget or you don't want to engage in deep one-on-one -on -one sessions. What's the catch? None, it's more about whether you have the right profile. 365.15 comes at a one-off fee of 1900 euros, but I'm discounting it to 1700 euros. That is a 200 euros deduction just for you so if you want it log on my website www.laurentnotin.com forward slash 365-15 registration leave your contact details on the form and make sure you mention interviews cracking the entrepreneurship code so you can enjoy the discount once again www.laurentnotin.com forward slash 365-15-registration. And now let's go back to the interview. Although, how did example. he take you to that mm. level? Well, as I said, um, I was uh, lousy at doing this. It was yeah. mid-2000s uh, when I started looking at reading faces. And um, at first, I, I, le I learned mainly the facial features I thought were the most important. Yes, the micro-expressions, you can learn those in a couple of hours. Mm. because the face has got 43 muscles. We can pull over 10,000 expressions. I know Paul and his team worked on 3,000 of them, which they mapped out. 
oh. and worked out which muscles work with all of them. And they named all of those um, expressions because they're combinations of expressions. But uh, he also, in his research, he found there were seven expressions which were universal. It doesn't mm. matter if you're born in a capital city, a tribal village, or even if you've been blind from birth. Mm. If you feel anger, for instance, you're going to have an angry look on your face. Mm. If you've got feeling sad, you're going to have a sad look on your face. So the seven um, universal expressions, they can be learned in a very short period of time from computer simulation. And then when you go out in the public, you can know, you know, measure those again very quickly. The facial features, they take a little bit more time because I'm working with about 68 traits in total. And right. when I look at somebody, instead of taking like Myers-Briggs and DISC where you might have 16 different possible combinations, my, I'm looking at about 39 traits where you've got the two extremes in the middle position. Mm -hmm. I work on the sliding scale, but I train people A, B, and C. That's three to the power of 39, and there's 29 traits. You either have them or you don't. So times 29 to the power of, um, or two to the power of 29, that's a pretty big number. Yeah. You can't remember all the combinations. But the thing is, if somebody walks around the corner, away, or coming towards me, and they're, say, 10, 15 feet away, the first eight traits will give me the bulk of their personality. So what stands out the most? What stands out second? How does that moderate and enhance the first one? What stands out third? And the same thing. And within the first seven or eight traits, I've got the bulk of their personality. Because the things that aren't so obvious are more in the middle position. And it's the extremes I want to know when I'm talking to somebody. Mm. Because I know when you walk up and you meet people for the first time, you're quite comfortable standing close to them. Mm. Times when you've done that and some people have moved back because they're the people that need more space. Yeah. Now, if you're aware of that and you give them more space as you walk up to them, they'll be listening to what you're saying. If you yeah. invade their space, they're feeling uncomfortable and they're not going to listen to a thing you've got to say. Mm -hmm. so those sort of traits, they just stand out really quickly and you can see those. And so you can build, you know, as the person comes up to you within that 10, 15 feet, you've read all you need to start the conversation and start building the uh, the rapport and the other traits, you'll start to see those while you're having that conversation. There is this uh, expression, reading the room, but literally, when you enter a room, you are actually reading it. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Because, you know, you can, you, well, how many people uh, who are listening to this would, this is a rhetorical question for them to ask themselves. How often have you walked into a room and you felt the energy was wrong or the energy was great? It just felt mm. so comfortable to walk into there. At the same time, we've heard somebody speak and everything they said was perfectly, you know, it was perfectly right but we had that gut feeling something was wrong. Mm. We're picking up non-verbals, but we've also got our biases in there as well. Because in that particular case where you've heard somebody speak, but you just didn't trust them, it could be that unconsciously they remind you of somebody who's done the wrong thing by you in the past, or they're talking in a way like somebody who's done the wrong thing by you in the past, and we judge them on that past experience. Or it could be that we've picked up the non-verbals that aren't matching what they're saying. Now, when they're talking, the tone of voice is not right. Their body language turning the, the other way, sort of covering up, et cetera. And you've picked up the nonverbals. Every child, except for a very small percentage who can't pick up expressions at all or facial features, every child was a perfect uh, profiler. Every child reads their parents. Everybody who's got young children, here's a question for you. How often do they push your buttons and not push you over the edge? They push you right to the edge. True. They've read you. They've, they've because it's survival. 
But as we get older, it's a trait that, or a skill that we, it's like any muscle, you don't work it, it atrophies. Mm -hmm. So the end result is you've still got it at an unconscious level. All I do is help you to understand at a conscious level what it is that you're actually picking up. So you might say I'm a, a personal trainer to get back that uh, muscle that you had on being able to read people when you were a young child that's atrophied over the years. Mm. That's one of the reasons why it's been as bad as I was at reading people. I was able to pick it up uh, quite quickly. So if um, every face tells a story, mm -hmm. can you modify your face so you tell a different story and manipulate people? Well, as far as the facial features go, yes, you can have cosmetic surgery. Mm. Um, the whole thing is that, you know, if you're pulling at an expression, you can see that the expression's there. But the, when you're talking to somebody, that will change. Mm. So if they've got some stress or whatever energy they're feeling at the, at the time, their expressions will change. And while you're doing that, you can see the neutral position of where they're, if they were at rest, you've got their personality. When you're talking to them, they can behave in certain ways. But the thing is that it takes a lot of work to try and falsify information. Micro-expressions, for instance, when something's said or happens around you, we unconsciously react and then our conscious mind steps in and that's when we get that's why we call it a micro-expression. It's only there for that fraction of a second, a fifth of a second down to one twenty-fifth of a second. So when somebody um, uh, something happens, they react, Conscious mind steps in, shuts it off. You can't fake that because it's the unconscious mind reacting. For us to fake it, we have to use our conscious mind mm. as after the fact. So and this is why the timing's important. This is why face-to-face micro-expressions, will pick, you'll pick those up really well. On Zoom, for instance, we have lags, time lags. Yeah. So it's getting an understanding of whether there is a lag or there isn't a lag. No, what was it that we actually saw and how fast was the expression? I got mm. surprised, for instance, and they put a surprise look on their face and they hold it there for mm. a bit, more than a second, it's fake. No, because surprise always leads to something else. Fear, anger, contempt, whatever it might be because of what's ever happening around it. No, if there's a sudden bang next to somebody, there might be that look of uh, uh, the surprise on their face, then they look down and they, oh, it's nothing to worry about. But if somebody has thrown something down on the ground, it might be anger or contempt towards that person. If it's something that's dangerous, surprise will move into fear. So there's a timing in that, of when it happens and it's also the duration of it as well that gives you information. But mm. you're not looking at one, you're looking at the combination of things. You're looking at things in clusters. So if somebody's trying, and this is what you can see, if somebody's trying to fake things, they have to put so much energy into it. But there is this expression, fake it until you make it. That was brought out by some fool who thought that uh, taking the original statement, which was act as if mm. a character actor goes away, learns a part. When they play that part, you swear to God that they are that. They've learned what a, they've gone and found out about psychopaths, for instance, and they play a role of a psychopath. You get that shiver because you feel that they are a psychopath. Yeah. Because, but somebody thought it was clever to change that phrase and say, fake it till you make it. Faking it till you make it sets you up for, for failure. You can't, while you're trying to fake it all the time, there's no movement towards doing it right. The mm. focus is on faking it. 
And so that was a term that was brought out for people who were had um, you know fear of whether they were good enough, et cetera, uh, the uh, imposter syndrome and things like that. Right. Again, that's another thing we're looking at wrong. Imposter syndrome is a case of if you care about your clients and you really want to give the best and everything else, no matter how good you are, you will have a feeling of uh, imposter syndrome at times because there's a desire to be better for your client. So it's I'm a good thing. As good as I possibly could. And I go through it as well, no matter how many people I speak in front of. Because my focus in the imp most important thing to me at that time is the person I'm talking to. Yeah. If I'm, they've come to me and they've got issues, I really need to uncover it. So my whole attention is on them, not on me. So while I'm doing that, I am thinking that as I go into that role, I've got to get this right for them. And so I then go, am I good enough to do this for that person? So a little bit of imposter syndrome. So that fake it till the make, make it was misrepresented as a way of being more comfortable. No, mm. in reality, the negative words in that tell you to be a failure and continue being a failure. Mm. I always say to people, act as if. If you don't think you're good enough, get over it. If you think you're too good, get over yourself. Because mm. the people who think they're too good, their focus is on themselves. They're not on their clients. Yeah. They've got no value whatsoever to offer anybody. But the person who worries that they're not good enough, why are they worrying they're not good enough? Because they want to give to their clients. Yeah. It's it's interesting because I give a, a lot of uh, uh, training on sales. And my uh, uh, <clears throat> title of my sales training is It's Not About You. <laughs> Meaning it's not about you. You don't speak about you and yourself because we don't care. It's all about That's your customers it. and the needs. Mm. And, and and what you describe, like people who are over themselves, I see that a lot in people who come who come into the into the training or in salespeople in general. They, and then they become very arrogant and they for, completely mm. forget to listen to to their clients, which is selling is what it's all about. That's so it. it's knowing the difference between the uh, confidence and arrogance. Yeah. And usually arrogance comes yeah. with somebody who's got an ego problem and ego usually shows an insecurity and they put a front on for that reason. So they're still focused on themselves mm. and they are faking it. Well, how are they going to change that situation? Mm. Whereas if they're focused on their clients and wanting to be better for them, you know, they may not feel they're good enough. Well, I prefer to feel that I'm not good enough because then I'm always improving. Mm. If I think I'm too good. <laughs> I'm going backwards, and somebody else is passing me on the on the uh, in the competition. Yeah, let's stay at the front of the line by being arrogant. Fascinating, Alan. This is fascinating. <laughs> let's but let's talk about you a little bit as as an entrepreneur because you're also an entrepreneur. Uh, so, what does it mean for you to be an entrepreneur? Well, number one, it means always learning and applying new things. Never mm. been never been fearful of trying something new. Now, the more failures you have, prove that you're moving forward. If you don't have any failures, it means you're not doing anything. Mm. You know, so be willing to uh, get out there and, and do things. I've done a lot of things where I've been first. You know, the Campfire Project is proving to be a first worldwide with conversations between men and women. Nowhere else has it been done. Uh, I've been the youngest uh, supervising technician when I was in my employment with our national telephone carrier back in the 70s. In the, uh, I've been the youngest uh, or the first person of our surf club to ever win um, uh, Surf Lifesaver of the Year in our district. 
So I've done all these things. And the only way you do that is by getting out of your own way mm. and moving forward. But being a good entrepreneur also means listening to other people, learning from everybody. I get mm. so many people saying to me, oh, Alan, who are the, your, um, your greatest um, uh, coaches? Who are your greatest mentors? And I start talking about when I was at the surf club, uh, examining kids for their bronze medallions and talking to the kids and getting their feedback. You know, my grandchildren, the things that they get up, all of these people are my greatest teachers and greatest mentors because I learn from everybody. People thinking it's got to be somebody who's been up on stage, Anthony Rohn, Tony Robinson or someone like that. It's a case of, um, no, it's uh, not those people. It's the people that I meet every day. Mm. And that's one of the things, being an entrepreneur is valuing everybody and you know, being the best person you can be of yourself you know, provide the best service to people and be innovative, be open to new ideas. You can't teach innovation. You can teach to people how to be a bit more open, you know, be, uh, be willing to be more open to things. But innovation comes from inside the person. Mm. That's why it starts with the word in, innovation. It comes from within. And so... I know, never looked at it that way. Things. Interesting. <laughs> And that's one of the things that you know, everyone, people are out there saying, oh, we teach innovation. And I go, well, once you've taught something, then it's no longer innovative. Yeah. It's now old hat. So you're teaching old hat and expecting people to become innovators. And I go, no, you're teaching them and opening up their ways of thinking so that they can be more innovative with their own ideas and bringing mm -hmm. those forward. Now, the teacher quite often takes too much credit for the student, but the student is the one who... Because education means to draw out, not to put in. So you, you mentioned the, the campfire project. Can you tell us mm -hmm. a little bit more about it? What is it? Well, with all the people I was uh, dealing with in business, I came across a lot of men when I was asking them, I said, right, give me a key word to describe you, to describe the way you feel. And the number of times I got the word confused, <laughs> I asked them, well, confused with what? And they said, well... We thought our job was, as a family man, to go out, bring the resources in and be the provider for the family. But we're being told that we're physically and emotionally absent because the family want to see more of us. We can't be in two places at once. And in the workplace, you know, we used to be able to talk in a certain way and now we've got gender equality and um, uh, the um, political correctness. And we're always on tender hooks, being checking what we're saying and giving us, making them frustrated. Because when you worry about saying the wrong thing, guess what? You're going to say the wrong thing because what you focus on, you get. And so that was causing problems with these men and that was leading to frustration. The frustration was leading to anger and in some cases, bullying in the workplace and even domestic violence because the frustration got to a point where the men just didn't have an outlet. So I thought, right, the men needed an outlet where they could go and uh, sit and somebody would listen to them without judging, without criticising, without uh, coaching them or telling them what to do, but just be the eyes and the ears mm. that that person has never had before. But it was never a men's group. It's had women in the group from day one because I wanted the men to realise that women were listening to them. I wanted the women to then hear how men could speak when the men felt safe to do so. I wanted the women to come into the conversations, but I wanted the men to lead the way so that they felt that this was their place. Then I interviewed men one-on-one, -on -one brought them into panel discussions when I had about 30 or so men that I'd interviewed and they were telling me horrific stories that they've been through as children and what they were doing now in, to 
improve their society, improve their own lives. And I brought them into panel discussions where we started talking about drugs, alcohol, pornography, masculinity, femininity, the toxicity and all those things. And that's when the women, I was waiting for it. I was just hoping for it. And they turned around and they sent me messages saying, we love these guys. We've never heard men talk so deeply about their emotions. And we've never heard men talk so wisely about uh, improving our uh, communities and families. And they said, can we get involved in this? And they went, yep, come into the one-on-ones, tell your story. You've got credibility with the, everybody else then and join the panel discussions the same as amended. And so we increased the conversations to menstruation, menopause, does size matter in the bedroom, the wearing of bras, any subject uh, that uh, you can think of, we'll talk about. Mm. So in four years, 500 hours of uh, one-on-one and panel discussions, no bigotry, no sexism, no racism, and not once has anybody been disrespectful to anybody else. And we've got all genders, all cultures, and all religions in there. Everybody is welcome to come in, sit in the background if they like, put their hand up and tell their story. If they tell their story, they can join the panel discussions and then you know build relationships with those people as well. If they happen to be a coach or a um, a mentor or a, a professional service provider, like a psychologist or anything like that, once they've done their, their one-on-one, told everybody who they are, what they've been through, so they've got credibility. Uh, if they're running a project or they've written a book that will help people, we will advertise that free of charge in the group for them because my job was to create a safe place for both men and women to be able to tell their stories without any judgment. Mm-hmm. That therefore means I've got 100% responsibility for that. So it's a closed group and we make sure that any trolls come along, they don't last there very long at all. And so far we haven't had them because two questions to get into the Facebook group and both of them ask you whether you respect people. And people ask me, why do you ask the same question twice? I went, there's your two chances, you don't get a third. (laughs) You come in, you're disrespectful, you're out. I'll talk to you outside, but you won't come back in until I feel confident that you're going to do the right thing. Now, some people said, oh, that's a bit extreme. And I went, right, put your shoe on the other foot. You've come in, you want to sit down, you want to tell your story, and you've it's something you've never told anybody before in your life. And you feel that you need this opportunity to do it. What happens if somebody has a shot at you? And they went, oh, I said, I'm stopping that from happening because you've answered those two questions. While you're answering those two questions, you're also protecting yourself, not just protecting the, the other people in the group. Mm. Because it's hashtag we together. Okay. Men and women, shoulder to shoulder, looking at problems, looking at the problem and discussing the problem, not looking at each other, pointing the finger as though you're the problem. Me too, men too, absolutely necessary to highlight the problems in society. But the problem with that was they're highlighting problems. They're not coming up with solutions. They're telling the other side what they're doing wrong all the time. Yeah. There's no coming together to have conversations. In the Campfire Project, we come shoulder to shoulder looking at the problem and discussing that in respectful way. And this is why the conversations are full of respect. Wow, that sounds very powerful. We're getting to the to the end of this conversation. Um, I have like a couple of questions left for you. Uh, first, take all your experience. And what would be the one particular recommendation that you will give to other entrepreneurs? Well, as I mentioned before, the most important thing I'll ever learn is the next thing I learn after I think I know everything. (laughs) (laughs) 
Listen to what everybody's got to say, but the old Arabic uh, saying of um, trust everybody, but lock up your camels at night. Yeah. Putting those two together, listen to things, listen to what other people are saying, take it all in, but keep your own counsel. Test it for yourself and see how it fits with you. Now, I tell everybody, once they've listened to me, go out and test it. You know, I can talk a great story. I've been doing this for quite a long time now. You know, I've had over 90 interviews last year alone. So and I've, every time I go on an interview, like you said today, tell me about me. That's happened on every one of those. I do talks where I've got a couple of hundred people in the room. I'll mm. profile the room and talk to the people about what I'm seeing. Mm. But I tell everybody after that, even when I profile somebody, I still test that I've read them right by getting the body language and the expressions. Mm. Nothing's 100%. So I test everything. And like a lot of people have said to me, Alan, uh, are you 100%? And I go, no, nothing's 100%, but um, I've never been proven wrong yet. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm pretty confident in what I do, but I say to people, you know, I can hear that story and go away, oh, Alan's great. No, go away, test it. Yeah. That's why I think I've already given uh, you, if I haven't already given it to you, there's a link to a free course that people can go oh, out. Yes, I was about to ask you. Yeah, they can test that for themselves. Okay. Um, it talks about my other courses, but it'll give them a couple of traits they can go and test. Also, where people's eyes move when they're sourcing information. It's the beginning of understanding you know, whether somebody's telling you the truth or not or how they're sourcing information. Something to go away and test. So I'll give that to you to... Um, uh, I'll put in you put in your notes because the link is quite a long one. Yes. And um, just give that to them. And I'd say to everybody, go away, test it and everything else. If it works for you, then use it. If it doesn't work for you, then look for something else that does. But keep that open mind to keep listening to other people and taking that information in. You know, when I was a massage therapist, people would come to me. I always had in the back of my mind, Yes, I can probably hurt, help this person, but if I can't help them, who do I have in my network that I believe can help them and I'd send them to them? Mm. So don't be fearful of having to be you know, all things to all people. Some people you're not going to be able to help. So do the best that you can with what you do. Learn, keep your open mind, test everything and uh, be there for other people because at the end of the day, what you do for yourself dies with you. But what you do for others and for the community isn't always will be eternal. The things Beautiful. that positive things you've done for other people are the things that they will remember the most. Beautiful. Um, so I will I will take that um, uh, free course. You will find the link in uh, in the show notes. And the last question for you: How can people contact you? Best way is through my website. It's quite simple. It's my name, which is alanstevens.com.au, and Alan is. At one L. I keep telling everybody it's not two L's. My family wasn't rich enough for two L's. I've only had one L. <laughs> so it's A-L-A-N and then Stevens, S-T-E-V-E-N-S dot com dot A-U. Amazing. Thank you, Alan, for this uh, fantastic conversation. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you very much for the invitation. And thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, subscribe to my podcast so you don't miss any. See you next time. Bye for now.